0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey Jonathan, how's it going?
0: It's going well, getting ready for Christmas. Everything is uh, very Christmassy here in Nashville. There's a, uh, a big Christmas lights display across this, the road from my neighborhood.
1: So oh yeah! traffic
0: at night is is a bit rough. Have you ever I've, been to Chad's?
1: I have been to Chad's. Um, right. the we, we went back in the day, and um, my mom and I took the kids years ago. And then Chad's was on the Great Christmas Light Fight. Yes, um,
0: a couple of years a ago couple, on ABC.
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago. That's right. And uh, so we were really excited. But this year, um, a, a house from Wake Forest, a place here, was on the Great Christmas Light Fight this past week. And that's a place we've gone here. So kind of fun to, to get to do that. But, yes, I have been to Chad's. Yeah, those
0: are fun. Whenever you don't live right across the road from them. Uh, Because the the traffic on the little two-lane state highway that runs out in front of Chad's gets a little bit hectic. And we have not gotten caught yet in the traffic. I know some of my neighborhoods have. uh, But we have not been out at the peak times trying to get in and out of the neighborhood quite yet. Tomorrow night, though, might be a different story. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I can imagine.
0: But it's always fun. I mean, we always go every year. It's it's neat, but it's kind of a pain for a few weeks every year. But well, it's the Christmas spirit. I don't want to. I don't want to go Grinchy on on Chad.
1: That's right. He he works hard, and uh, he has yeah. something that's it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah, I have to put a link to the a um,
0: uh, video. I'm sure there's videos up there about Chad's winter wonderland. But yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. So.
1: Yeah, it's pretty neat, and it's a neat—it's a drive-through one. Mm-hmm. So you, you go in and, and around. So those are those are always fun, and we enjoy doing those kinds of things with our kids as well. But yep. uh, it's great—a a wonderful time. Um, it's graduation week where we are here that's at right, Southern right. Seminary, so um, that's always a very special time. One of the as graduates, well.
0: second vice president of the SBC. One that's Malachi right. O'Brien.
1: Malachi O'Brien, let's give him a shout out. This is kind of a fun graduation for us um, around here because you—I mean, every now and then you do have a, a demon student or a PhD student, someone that's out in the uh, in the ministry, and Malachi is certainly one of them. We also have some really uh, special PhD graduates this year. Um, three, uh, actually: Larry Lyon, the director of admissions; Jerry Lasseter, director of distance learning; and Edgar Aponte. Um, who uh, is now vice president at the International Mission Board, but uh, was here uh, as director of Spanish, lead- hi- sorry, here as director of Hispanic Leadership Development uh, for a while, and so we have a lot of a lot of folks. Our registrar is graduating as well, so it'll just be a fun day tomorrow.
0: Yeah, a lot of faculty graduations tomorrow, so. That'll be fun. Before we jump into the news this week, I want to remind you of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, most of that giving and the emphasis taking place here in the month of December. Starting in 1888, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering was established to empower the international missions efforts for Southern Baptists. After more than a century, the annual offering continues its steady growth. The national goal this year is $155 million. Your giving enables missionaries to be sent to make disciples and multiply churches among unreached peoples and places for the glory of God. You can find out more about the IMB's Lottie Moon Christmas offering at uh, IMB.org. We got a link there. You most of the giving, you know, we talk about it goes through the churches. Uh, churches collect those, send those on. But there is a way if you want to uh, to give directly to IMB. Uh, that's there on their website. So uh, IMB.org, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering.
1: It's the first week, it's, and yep, so.
0: that means CP time.
1: That's right. so uh, this is a, a we talked last month uh, about the CP being under projection. same story again this month. So yeah. it's 4.13% below uh, the projected budget for the first two months of the fiscal year and um, that's 5.07 below where we were uh, last year at this time.
0: Yeah last year we got off to a pretty strong start and we're over budget most of the year. Uh, I think we, we did dip below. I, I went back and looked. We did dip below last year in December. We were still above the year before, but we were a little bit below budget. But I mean, it was basically even this year. Yeah. It has started out quite slowly. So uh, we're kind of keeping a, a bit of an eye on this one. Uh, the last couple of years, we haven't had to worry about it too much. Uh, things have right. been clicking right along. But uh, after two months, we're $1.3 million below CP uh, budget projections. So kind of right. keep an eye on this thing.
1: Yeah, and and we do this every month. We talk about uh, where we are, and uh, this is just one of those times where it's dipping a little lower. This is one uh, great piece of accountability, though, that they release this through Baptist Press. We see this. We're able to watch it um, because then the churches can take that and they can step up and make the change. So uh, very uh, definitely we'll be continuing to watch this. Uh, We'll see where we are in January.
0: Yes, we will uh, in January. December traditionally a low month, so uh, January though traditionally very high. So usually the, uh, the the end of the year receipts that hit the churches don't right. hit the CP giving until January. So you know churches which, usually have big giving in, in December, which leads to big CP in January.
1: Right, right. So we shall see.
0: We usually play a little bit of catch up in January. So at that first quarter. Uh, don't be too alarmed at the end of the first quarter numbers. You have got January coming, should play a lot of catch up in that. But uh, you know, if, if we stay under, it will be interesting to to watch and see what unfolds at the executive committee meeting in February and see how that is addressed. So, just going to yeah. keep an eye on it and uh, and wait and see.
1: Yes. All right. Now we. We thought we, we were done. To, we need to do a little bit of. Uh, it's your fault. Backing up here and apologize. <laughs> to the Baptist General Association of Virginia, and to Arizona. We are sorry. We said last week we were all done. Our calculations were wrong. There were a few more state yeah. conventions left. And you we watch. appreciate you. There'll be another you. one that comes next week. I know. We appreciate you. We should never say that again. We appreciate everyone and all the work you're doing in your state conventions. We do have a few more to cover. So uh, Baptist General Association of Virginia, had their 193rd annual meeting. They had 654 messengers and 293 guests, representing 292 churches uh, from Virginia. Gabe Lyons was the main speaker for their services, which I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, very good speaker um, as well. So uh, they... Approved their 2017 budget at ten million dollars. That's five hundred thousand less than um, last year.
0: Yeah, and they have uh, CP is a lot different in Virginia yeah. for the BGAV. Uh, they have three different tracks that your church can choose to send on the uh, the the money. Sixty the track one is sixty six percent to Virginia, thirty four percent to SBC. Track two is. Seventy-two twenty-eight, and that twenty-eight is a combination of Virginia Southern Baptist Convention and uh, the CP, the CBF, and then they have the third track, which is just Virginia and CBF. So your church gets to choose kind of where that little sliver goes after Virginians take their part. So um, it's it just a different formula. Every state's different, and Virginia is no exception to that.
1: Yes, and they also welcomed two new um, covenant partners. This is interesting. Uh, Campbell University Divinity School in Buies Creek, North Carolina, uh, which is not far from here, the and is actually very close. Yeah, the the camels. We um, we were there not long ago. It's not far from where Keith is doing an interim pastorate. Um, and one one day, the kids and I, while he was uh, prepping, we drove over to Campbell, and Drew got his picture with a big camel statue. It's um,
0: always Hump Day at Campbell University. At Campbell
1: University, yeah, I've I've never heard that. That's pretty good. Uh, as well as Northern Seminary in Lombard, Illinois.
0: Yeah, just another area where the BGAV is different than most of our state conventions.
1: Yeah, just something uh, unique there. So the we'll we'll put the link uh, in the show notes so that you can uh, read the release about that and Arizona.
0: Yeah, Arizona, they passed a uh, four point seven. Five million dollar budget, a uh, twelve hundred dollar increase over twenty sixteen. Arizona, the host of the Southern Baptist Convention, is coming June. I, I love what they do in Arizona with the uh, the biking. I think we talked about this last year on yes. the podcast where they they have messengers bike from like the Baptist building to the site, and they have yeah. this big uh, a bikeathon. They did a hundred and fifty one mile ride. This year, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Which they
1: they can do that in the fall because they're it's Arizona. I mean, you can't do that here. It's a
0: nice balmy eighty-five. Probably,
1: yes, yes. So they can do that, but uh, I I think that's really neat.
0: Yeah, their CP budget allocates thirty point five percent, a one point five percent increase from last year to SBC Executive Committee and. They also elected officers, President Jackie Allen, lead pastor of Palm Vista Baptist Church in Surprise, First Vice President Ed Eddingfield, uh, the senior pastor at First Southern Baptist Church Tucson, and Second Vice President Charles Wesner, the pastor of First Southern Baptist Church in Welton, Arizona.
1: Yeah, and now on to some national news. Obviously, we've all been kind of tracking What's happening in the presidential transition? This is that that time after the dust settles from the election that everyone's beginning to watch. I don't think uh, it's settled yet. Okay, I'm trying here, Jonathan. I'm trying to uh, make a smooth transition and to at least feel like the dust has settled. It's Christmas. I want. I'm watching Hallmark movies. You know, kind of easing in. But you're right. It hasn't completely settled, but. Where we are joining in conversation now is around uh, all the presidential appointments, cabinet uh, selections, folks who uh, will be going before the Senate for confirmation hearings um, after the first of the year.
0: And one of them is not only a Southern Baptist, but
1: trustee at. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah. Scott Pruitt, he's the Attorney General of Oklahoma, so uh, he has been chosen to head the Environmental Protection Agency. Now that was big news. Um, I was not familiar with Scott Pruitt being Southern Baptist; didn't realize it, and so I saw a couple of tweets uh, from people mentioning, you know, really excited for, uh, you know, for for Scott Pruitt. And then Jonathan, you you've happened to just see it, that he's a trustee of Southern.
0: Yeah, that was the funny thing. I didn't even see the tweets. I was actually reading on my iPad and going through the trustee lists for another reason, just looking up some other stuff, and happened to see his name. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I tweeted that out. So yeah, that was kind of neat. So looked it up, and there he is. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Moeller tweeted his congratulations to him.
1: Yeah, so um, so that that's, that's a big deal, an appointment like that. Uh, and so we might even have some of our listeners that are, are friends with him, and we'll definitely be watching for that.
0: Have we ever had a Southern Baptist trustee appointed a cabinet position?
1: Um, I am not 100% certain, but...
0: We had a Southern Baptist president, you know, the, the famous Jimmy Carter presidency back in the, the 70s, uh, famously right. a Southern Baptist at that time. And I I mean I know we've had we've talked about it on here, we've had uh senators that were not only Southern Baptist, but Southern Baptist leaders.
1: Right. Um we also I mean, it's not a trustee, but one of our professors here at Southeastern, uh Daniel Heimbach, he's senior professor of Christian ethics. Um, he was had a pretty high level position um in the Bush administration. He was um he spent uh, two years on staff there as um, associate director for domestic policy and deputy executive secretary to the domestic policy council. And so he, he was pretty high up. He also was deputy assistant secretary of the Navy for manpower. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and he, he teaches Christian ethics has been here for a very long time. Um, but, which
0: Bush administration was that?
1: That was George H. W. Bush, and okay. then I believe he, I believe he served maybe some in the when he I think when he was deputy assistant secretary of the Navy that might have been Reagan administration. I'll have to ask him. He's got the most interesting uh, interesting story. Spent time at Labrie with Francis Schaefer and um, his parents had you know parents were missionaries. Very very interesting uh, professor, and I love to hear his stories. So that's kind of part of his, but I don't know. Cabinet level, it, it would be interesting to to track.
0: All right. Well, congratulations to Attorney General Scott Pruitt uh, and soon to be head of the EPA. I would I would assume. Yes. All right. Moving, uh, staying in the Midwest. Moving up uh, from Oklahoma to uh, Missouri, the Midwestern Student Center got a two hundred thousand dollar pledge from the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention this past week.
1: Yeah, this is a this is a big one.
0: Yeah, two hundred thousand dollars. Nothing to shake your head at
1: for the Mathena Student Center. So this is really exciting for them. I know Uh, a 39,000 square foot building on their campus. It's going to have a a gym, exercise areas, um, bookstore, resource center, cafeteria, cafe, classrooms, offices, all kinds of things. So I, I think that's really, really exciting. And what a great gift to go toward that.
0: Yep. And uh, they are excited about that. That brings the total gifts toward the project to nearly $9 million of the estimated $12 million cost. So uh, about three quarters of the way they're fully funding that thing. So uh, congratulations to Dr. Jason Allen and uh, grateful for the the generosity of the Southern Baptist of Texas convention and executive director, Jim Richards.
1: All right. One last story. Um, and it's a release from lifeway research.
0: Yes. It's on end of life care and assisted suicide. Something we'll talk about next week with Mike Rout on the podcast, uh, pastor out in Colorado, uh, where this is going on. Talk to some other things about him, but that's on next week's episode. Um, and so this, the, the question, the main question asked here with Lifeway research, when a person is facing a painful terminal disease, it is morally acceptable to ask for a physician's aid in taking his or her own life. Now, among Americans, two out of three agree. 67% to 33% that it's okay for a physician to aid in taking their life uh, when facing a painful terminal disease. Among evangelicals, 62% disagree, 38% agree.
1: There was another question they asked also about um, restrictions. Uh, and the question was: Physicians should be allowed to assist terminally ill patients in ending their lives. Um, and among Americans, sixty-nine percent agree. So that's we're talking about legal um, ramifications. Yeah, the and morality of it
0: was the first question. The legality of it—if should it be legal—is the second question.
1: Right, should be allowed. Um, and thirty-one percent disagreed. And then among those with evangelical beliefs, fifty-eight percent disagreed, and forty-two percent agreed. So very similar. Definitely. Numbers. Yeah, um, similar numbers, but I mean, still, I always, when I track this category of those um, among those with evangelical beliefs, it's still always the, like the agrees are always higher than I really want them to be looking at that. But the information is, is incredibly helpful. As Scott McConnell said in the the LifeWay research release, you know, those who who go to church or hold more traditional beliefs are less likely to see assisted suicide as morally acceptable. Still, a surprising number do. Um, So very interesting. And uh, in the story, there are also several layers of uh, just demographic breakdowns, um, areas of the country, um, just... uh, education level, things like that, uh, that kind of show you who's who's most likely um, to agree.
0: And this comes to the forefront, this uh, research, because of the recent passing of this uh, physician-assisted suicide in the state of Colorado, uh, which we're talking to Mike Rott next week. He said something, Amy, in that interview, and, and you'll hear more about it next week on, on that episode, but said something in that interview uh, that, that I'd never really connected with this issue. Uh, suicide, yeah. teen suicide connected with... Terminal disease, end of huh. life care. He said, because the legality of this, it kind of takes the the stigma and the the second guessing of teen suicide away, making it more acceptable. And they're seeing a huge spike of that in Colorado. Wow! Because people That's think, incredible. well, it's okay for end of life. Why not me? You know, right. I don't have anything to live for as a teen or whatever. And uh, people, right? So. Just a really sad, you know, it's one of those um, correlative but not causative, possibly, kind of things. Yeah. But just a, a sad side effect of uh, physician ended, you know, end of life care. Yeah.
1: Uh, really interesting. Uh, I, I would be intrigued to see if these numbers change any, if they do happen to do like a repeat study on this in, in, in a few years.
0: All right. Well, we mentioned our uh, interview series uh, with the seminary college deans this week. Michael Wilkinson from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. All right, joining us this week on SBC This Week is Dr. Michael Wilkinson. He is the Assistant Professor of Theology at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and, more importantly, the Dean of the College at Southwestern. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Wilkinson. Happy to do it. Thank you for having me. We're going through this series of interviews with the deans at the colleges, and we've been asking them these questions. And now, you know, our seminaries were founded by Southern Baptist Convention to prepare men and women for ministry. Generally undergraduate programs are often broader than our typical graduate programs. How does the college at Southwestern fit into this goal of preparation for service to the church?
2: Well, the program was set up actually to, uh, it's still primarily a focus on training men and women for ministry. Uh, the way it was set up was to deal with a number of problems and issues that we face in our culture. So the, the, ed, the degree program itself is set up as a, really as a double major in both humanities and biblical studies. Uh, the humanities part of it is based on a great books type of education, um, where our goal is really to help our students read and study and know the great ideas that have shaped our civilization. But also for, from a Christian worldview vantage point, Know how to interact with those ideas, uh, engage those ideas with the gospel, and, uh, and really confront those with the truth of the gospel. So, so many things going on now in our culture. Uh, you know, when I was in seminary, even the ed- college education I got, there was a great deal more similarity in what, how people were, were raised in their homes and their communities. And uh, things have changed dramatically. So, we, for someone to be well prepared for ministry, we want them to know, as they interact with with uh, unbelievers, and as they seek to reach out and, and and reach now so many international peoples who are moving here, we want them to know the ideas and know uh, the what's behind the ideas, where they lead, and know how to how to interact with those and 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 really use that um, for means of uh, communicating the gospel. To
0: that. You know, the distinctives that your college offers, I mean, you, you talked about how everything's kind of centralized to preparation for ministry, even in the the, uh, the music majors that you guys offer at Southwestern, uh, at the College of Southwestern. So uh, those distinctives, you know, what makes, you know, besides those, what makes the College of Southwestern distinct?
2: Uh, I think the, uh, the the way we try to fuse together uh, dealing with uh both a liberal arts education and a, a a biblical studies education that's very unique. I, I don't know of any that really uh, imitate that very much and where we try to maintain the full integrity of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we want our students to understand is how to utilize this for, for ministry purposes, wherever they may be. And um, some of them have gotten inroads into places around the world that were interested in studying Western philosophy. Well, he had had a degree from us, so he knew what to do and was able to enter into that. So it's the, um, I, I think the the distinctives of uh, in trying to, to maintain that classical education with classical Christian orthodoxy, but from a, from a Baptist theological perspective that sort of uh, puts that all together in a very unique way.
0: Well, SBC Seminary graduate programs have traditionally reached far more men than women how does the collegiate offerings at the College of Southwestern provide an avenue for women to be more involved in educational training at our seminaries?
2: We have a very strong women's studies program here at the graduate level, and a number of the things that we do in the undergraduate uh, program, uh, we we actually are trying to encourage our women to go into graduate work with our uh, our ladies in the uh, in the women's studies program at the master's level, so that they will be in trained know how to how to teach, how to equip, how to disciple women in local churches, but also gives them an avenue for further study. And, um, you know, we've got uh, I've got one of those who came out of that program on my faculty right now. And of course, there's there's a couple of others in the master's faculty also. Uh, we also also offer, you know, minors in education and missions and um, uh, philosophy, apologetics, so some of ours have gone to do graduate work in philosophy at some other places. Uh, a number of them are uh, also staying here and looking at education and some other things, especially to go into women's ministry or ministry to youth, uh, especially to disciple the uh, uh, our, our girls and youth ministries.
0: Now, there's often a perception with seminaries that they don't always offer a traditional student experience that many expect with college life. In what ways does your college promote the typical collegiate experience within its Christ-centered framework?
2: What we really want to promote is the sense of community that most people are looking for when they go to college. Now, obviously, what we don't have is fraternities, sororities, those kind of things. Um, But we're trying to provide uh, those types of community in interest groups and student groups and some other ministry opportunities and I think what we're what we're seeking to do is create more of an atmosphere of discipleship, so that uh, the community is is more representative or more similar to what they would find in a church uh, or something like. Of course, we're not certainly not trying to replace the church at all, but we want to provide that kind of atmosphere where there is spiritual growth and uh, and ministry opportunity. That's probably the primary thing. So service opportunities as well as uh, a support system they can build into. And we do have a lot of the traditional things like uh, intramurals, and um, uh, we've got all of our typical places around town where they, ostensibly anyway, go at late night for study. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> however much you can do over coffee and all night pancakes, I don't know, there but Ooh, that uh, sounds like fun. They do it. So um, there's a lot of things that are very typical. You know, a lot of things that go on in the dorm that are, uh, you know, similar to dorm life and other places, but. Um, uh, but just some of the things that obviously, as as a Southern Baptist uh, institution, we're we're not going to have some of the things that they would find on the state uh, campus, uh, particularly some of the things that might be might allow them to get into a little bit more trouble than they need to yeah. get. To,
0: so. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the, the level of professors and just who you've got at Southwestern uh, that are, you know, I guess many of your professors teach both undergraduate and graduate classes?
2: Uh, several of them do. Um, the main ones who teach bo- on both levels are my philosophy professors. Uh, and they'll teach because we've recently also uh, approved a, a, a an MA in philosophy and um, the two philosophy professors at the master's level and our two in the college faculty uh, plus a couple of others, Provost was involved in it, have put together an MA program. so. All of those guys, there's about five or six philosophers and they do share back and forth between the two programs. Uh, Sometimes fairly evenly split between their duties. Um, I have taught some on the graduate level and they will also do uh, PhD studies and and D-Men studies as well. Uh, I've done a little bit on the graduate level for the master's program, but my hours usually I try to guard pretty much for the college as much as I can. we have a number of professors also in the School of Theology who come down and teach for us in some areas. So there, there's a good back and forth uh, between the two. Um, also in, in the biblical studies area, both my Old Testament guys, my Old Testament guy and my New Testament guy. Um, they will do also double duty in areas.
0: All right. Well, how can we find out more? If, if somebody's listening and they're interested in finding out more about the College of Southwestern, where can they find out more online?
2: They can easily just go to the, uh, the school's website, swbts.edu, and um, it'll bring up a, a, a box of all the different possible schools there, and the College at Southwestern is very prominently located there, and they can just click on it, and it'll tell them about the program. It'll introduce them to the professors. It'll uh, tell them the, uh, the degree program, the, the, the minors that are available, um, and what they need to do to apply and everything like that.
0: All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Wilkinson. We appreciate your time and wish you all the best over in Fort Worth.
2: Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate the time with you.
1: All right, Jonathan, thanks for that. And uh, what, a, what a great opportunity it's been to have the deans of these uh, colleges to, to just tell us what's going on everywhere. And uh, it gives a, gives a great picture of something we don't focus on. Um, I don't want to say that. gives a great picture uh, of some things that some of our listeners may not know about.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's kind of neat to see, even though that they're all very similar, they all have their unique flavor and their unique uh, characteristics. So uh, that's a, I thought was fascinating. Yeah. I expected a little bit more similarity between the two, but they're really quite diverse. Yeah. uh, Even though that they are, you know, similar programs. All right. Well, that's going to lead us to my favorite part of the week this week in SPC history. Amy, blow our minds.
1: Well, we're going to go back to 1954 and, Ooh. uh, to, to see, way back. yeah, we, it, it's important sometimes just like we, we track these research projects to see how people feel about certain things. This isn't really a, um, the, the methodology of this isn't necessarily a, a sound research project, but it was some opinions that were collected by Baptist press. Um, and, The first line of the story is, bingo for churches is never likely to be a Southern Baptist battle cry. Um, I would agree with that. That's probably
0: still the case. Yeah. So
1: in 1954, there was this story about how um, Baptist pastors feel about Uh, so first of all, the president of, uh, the SBC at the time, J.W. Storer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, was very clear in the story that Southern Baptists held no official church position on bingo, but, uh, he felt like repeated resolutions indicated that without a doubt our position, um, Uh, would be to be against bingo or any other form of gambling. And then they started talking about how bingo is used as a a fundraiser. I mean, they talked about in the Roman Catholic church, things like that. So it was, it, two things are kind of dealt with in this story is, um, the, the idea that it is gambling. And then also that it's, uh, used for church fundraising, um, and, and so there's just this whole breakdown. You go all the way. And, and uh, even um, o- Olin Binkley, who uh, was a president of Southeastern Seminary here. Binkley and at Chapel.
2: System,
1: yeah, that's right. He said, um, I am firmly opposed to bingo as a source of revenue for religious organizations or professional gamblers. Um, so it's uh, it, th- this was really a lot about whether or not we would start um, that we would start doing, doing this. And then a really strong opinion, the state mission secretary uh, for Southern Baptists in Ohio said, certainly if churches resort to bingo parties selling chances on automobiles and horses and similar money-raising projects, they ought to be dealt with in the same manner as bookies, professional gamblers, and others who live as termites and leeches on society. Um, Some
0: strong language there.
1: I know. And the next one. Um, a leech about- on society. Yeah, someone else said, bingo for churches is about like cockroaches for refrigerators. One is about as illogical as the other. So very serious, um, very serious statements about this. And, uh, and then the final one, which I thought wrapped it up very well, bingo can never substitute for God's plan of church finance. Um now, what I, I find is interesting is that this obviously was a real big conversation at the time. When I think of bingo now, I think of it as like a kid's game. I mean, I oh, just no. don't.
0: Oh, no. You, you, well, <laughs> you've you never lived in Louisiana and in some of these places <laughs> in the South? Um, no. No, a bunch of the churches, not Baptist churches, a bunch of the Catholic churches in Louisiana have regular bingo nights. And it's, you know... Bingo in the basement. I mean, and that's that's not just Louisiana. That's that's all over. I'm you, sure. You just so
1: played it like like as kids. Well, yeah. Just, I, I mean,
0: I get that, but and you no. just
1: won. Like you didn't. You weren't winning anything. You 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 just won.
0: Yeah, and uh, not the same. Not the case in Louisiana.
1: Yeah. Well, what I what I want to show here, and though, is I'm this sure is other
0: big, places as well.
1: Yeah, this is a big discussion, and it's a big discussion. I mean, 62 years ago, this is yeah. big. And so they say, uh, bingo for churches is never likely to be a Southern Baptist battle cry. Uh, the headline is bingo for churches not likely in SBC. Um, and so I just want to say, from 62 years ago, um, you heard it here because we are not. I don't. I know of no Southern Baptist churches that are are doing this. And so uh, this was forecasted this week in SBC history.
0: All right. Well, you say no Southern Baptist church is doing this. Got a, a bit of a confession to make, I guess. Um, not like this. Being not bingo in this sense, where it's fundraising. Okay. Two weeks ago, we had a um, volunteer drive, whatever you want to call it. You know, call for volunteers. Yeah. Here's places you can serve in the church kind of thing at my church. Our church has an assisted living home on the back 40 of our property.
1: Oh, no. I did do bingo at a nursing home <laughs> yes. when I was a well, kid. Well, our for church own,
0: kind of owns this facility. Yeah. One of the volunteer spots was... Bingo caller, for so we were yeah, we were basically seeking out volunteers for bingo caller. I know it's <laughs> totally different, but it's just funny that this okay. just happened a couple <laughs> weeks and I even made the joke. I was like, "This is hilarious." We're we're advertising that's, bingo in the church. And that's then pretty funny. Two weeks later,
1: because I re- I mean I remember that because I, I I remember going in, when I was in middle school to volunteer uh, with a group of kids at the nursing home and they liked to play bingo and and so we would do it, but it wasn't like this wasn't.
0: No, you know? yeah, this is a totally different type of bingo. Just unless, unless some game. of those old ladies are running, you know, uh, no, numbers under, under the table that I don't know about. You're it's a totally different game. type.
1: But, but that's true that you had a volunteer position of bingo, bingo caller. Caller, yeah. Um, so amazing. we all just we just need to clarify that. But it was yeah. not. I mean, what they're calling out in this headline, that's not what you are doing.
0: No, no, not, not at all. I, at least I don't think so. So you never know. I mean, those those ladies, they may have. You know, one of the rooms, they've got a whole, you know, wall full of uh, VODs and stuff. Who knows? Oh,
1: my so. goodness. <laughs> it, <laughs> All right. Now it's time for resources of the week.
0: Yeah. Resource of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is.
1: Um, it's a new album. I'm, I'm on a roll with albums right now uh, called Lead Me Home by Jill Phillips. I just got my uh, CD uh, from this. I was a Kickstarter supporter, but it has also uh, become available to the general public.
0: And you love some Kickstarter, huh?
1: I do. I do. I love do. a good I have- Kickstarter. I do. I have people that I I like to listen to and, um, or, or follow, and I want to support them on the front end. But anyway, Jill Phillips is a singer songwriter in the Nashville area that I um, have a lot of great respect for. And, um, she was thinking about what to do for her next album. And she kept getting pulled toward, uh, gospel songs, old hymns from her childhood, um, and things that, that she remembered connecting with her grandparents. Um, so this is just a great, she, she picked a great, uh, bunch of songs, uh, things like peace in the Valley, great is thy faithfulness, come thou long expected Jesus, which is a good, she's got, I'd rather have Jesus. Um, and she's got an incredible voice and, uh, this, this uh, particular album, I think, was done in a really uh, just a, a produced very, very simply, pared down. Uh, so I'm really excited about this one, and I would highly recommend it. I also want to add one of my Christmas albums. Last week, I was started listening to the Lauren Daigle album. Oh, she's
0: got a Christmas album.
1: Very good. Oh, so very, um, very good. So I need to get that the,
0: for a certain uh, lady in my life, and yeah. sitting down the the couch from me.
1: Yeah, that's that's a freebie for this one because that album is excellent, very good. Oh, I didn't out. know
0: that. Beth will love that. So, yeah. All right, my resource of the week is a book from Trevin Wax. A new book coming out in March. It's available now for pre-order. This is our time: everyday myths in light of the gospel. Uh, Trevin provides snapshots of 21st century American life in order to help Christians understand the times. So, uh, looks at our beliefs and practices on. Smartphone habits, entertainment intake, our views of shopping, sex, marriage, politics, and life's purpose, and helps us see through what the world says is real, see through those myths into what the gospel uh, shows what is good, true, and beautiful. So uh, should be a great read from Trevin. I know he's been really cranking stuff out, and everything Trevin writes is good. So uh, I would highly recommend you add this to your pre-order list and, and go ahead and get this on pre-order so when it drops in March, you will be one of the first to get the new book from Trevin Wax.
1: Do you think you'll be able to get any copies of that like in March to do for some giveaways?
0: I don't know. Let me see who's publishing it. B&H Books. I think I can get my hands on a couple of copies.
1: Maybe I'll get a copy. I,
0: I didn't know we were publishing that. I'm glad we're publishing that. So uh, I know his last couple of books, like we've done one and somebody else has done another. So yeah, um, it's good. So yeah, I'll be able to get a couple of copies of that. So that will be fun.
1: Excellent. All right.
0: Well, I know, Amy, it'll be a little bit slower at the seminary the next couple of weeks. You've got uh, graduation today, the day this drops, and that'll kind of make things a little bit slow before J-terms kick off after the Christmas break. But they don't quite slow down at Lifeway like they do at uh, Southeastern, so I'll be uh, still going full throttle here in Nashville. Thanks again to Dr. Michael Wilkinson for joining us on uh, the podcast this week to talk about Southwestern's college. And uh, once again, thanks to all of our seminary college deans jamie Dew, matt hall michael wilkinson and john mark yates for uh joining us on the podcast still working on one from level college down in new orleans and if we get that we'll drop that in the podcast later on but uh, i think that's going to do it for us this week and we'll see you next week
1: see you next week